Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Uh, those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time. And if you're staying here with us, I invite you to, uh, to look, at, <laughs> uh, look at Luke 15. Um, I'm sorry. Yes, Luke 1, uh, 15. We, we have in our bulletins printed verses 1 through 10, uh, but we're only going to go through really the first seven verses. So I'll just read the first seven verses today. We'll do 8 through 10 next uh, in two weeks uh, as we take up the lost coin. Uh, so as, as we're transitioning here, let's, let's pray together. Uh, Father, there's been a lot going on uh, this week, uh, this weekend, uh, a lot going on this next week. Uh, but Lord, uh, in the midst of in chaotic schedules, uh, wherever we are in life, we ask that you would, uh, would give us this next time to really just be present. Um, uh, Lord, to fight, to, to hear your word. Um, may your spirit come and give us, give us ears to, to hear it. And, and minds to really understand. Lord, give us hearts that can go there. Um, Lord, teach us uh, from your word this morning by your spirit. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, uh, so we're, we're approaching, coming into Luke 15 to some of the most, most powerful teaching Jesus gave about God's relentless pursuit of his people. It is just relentless. Uh, but before we, we dive in and read, just a, a couple bits, just helpful bits of information for context. Uh, first, if you, if you have your Bibles out, you'll, you'll see that in our modern Bibles, Luke 15 is divided into three parables, right? The, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then uh, the prodigal son. And each of them have their own nice and neat little title and paragraph section. So it's all mapped out really nice. And because of that, it's only natural to assume that these are three different parables with three different points that Jesus is trying to, to make us get, right? Okay, but if you look at verse 3, Luke says in response to what was going on around him, Jesus told them not three parables, but a parable. He, he spoke this parable. Which means this whole chapter, chapter 15, uh, what, what we typically t think of as three different parables is really just one parable with one unified point, which is this. It is God, Jesus wants us to see God's utmost joy when a lost sinner is found. God's joy when a repentant sinner comes home. And, and that's important because as we found, remember, on Easter, that not everybody, not every quote-unquote Christian is that pumped or that joyous when the gospel goes out to sinners. Um, which brings us to our, our next bit of context. Uh, verses 1 and 2 tell us, remind us of what was going on when Jesus taught this, right? Uh, verse 1 and 2 tell us, now tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And look, it's well known. This is like the classic preacher talk that like tax collectors were hated, right? We don't like tax collectors. But, but for us to kind of just get into the emotional space of a first century Hebrew, think about this. So in the first century, the, the Roman Empire, they, they, they ruled and had all of the then known world, right? And so that's a lot of land to rule and they needed lots of money to, to rule that land. 
And so what they did was they devised this genius way, I mean, totally genius way of collecting taxes. They decided that they would divide their territory into different provinces and, and put those different provinces up for bid. And so people, we call it, you know, in the Bible you see as publicans, um, people could bid on those territories, territories, and they went to the highest bidder. Um, and so whoever won the bid would have to then pay the bid value to the Roman government. And in exchange for that, the Roman government gave that person the authority to recoup their, their bid by collecting taxes from people within that province. And so let's say, to bring this into our language, let's say that Greenwood was up for bid, okay? And Sally Sue down the street uh, bid $1 million, and she won the bid. And so every year, Sally Sue is on the hook to fulfill her full bid price, $1 million, to the, to the Roman government or Greenwood government. And it's paid in advance. But then everything over $1 million that she collects gets to go straight into her pocket. Okay? So far, so good, right? But, but here, the, here's where the problem comes in. Tax collectors weren't just your friendly neighborhood tax people, right? Gathering taxes, doing, doing the government's work while earning a fair market va- value salary, right, for their effort. If that happened, no problem. No, tax collectors, the problem was, was they were some of the wealthiest people around, <laughs> meaning that new truck, uh, that new car, that really great vacation that you just saw on Facebook that they were, went on, that nice house, those designer clothes, were all funded by the overtaxation of their friends uh, and their neighbors. So the fact that they had nice things meant that they had long since paid their tax obligation to Rome. They'd long since done that. So all of this is above and beyond. This is, they're now lining their pockets. So the tax collectors were, 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 they were lowlifes living the high life off of your life. I mean, can you feel it? Can you feel a little bit of the hatred that maybe you would have towards that type of a person? They were despised, they were greedy, they were dishonest. This is how bad it was. Synagogues, you know, religious institutions, they'll receive almost anybody's money, right? Like synagogues wouldn't even take their money. Like synagogues would rip up their, rip up their checks, wouldn't accept their, their alms. Um, so yeah, such a disgrace. But not only were tax collectors gathering, like Jesus is receiving these people. So were sinners, which was shorthand for thieves, drunks, prostitutes, uh, or any who never went to worship nor seemed to have any desire for the things of God. In other words, it was the very people that Israel's shepherds, the religious leaders, were called to go out and to bring in. But they didn't, as we found this morning with Wally reading, right? They just, they failed to do that. Which brings us then to the other people who are there when Jesus is teaching this, the religious leaders. So Luke wants us to see that to Jesus, it's not the sinners who were the most scandalous, but it was the so-called religious leaders who, who grumbled at the fact that Jesus might be reaching out to sinners. Pharisees thought, for you to join them and their church, then you needed to be like them, right? They didn't care for your tattoos, or your piercings, or your taste of music, or the way you dress. They didn't, they didn't care for any of that. They wanted you to be like them. And so you needed to clean yourself up, and you needed to ascend the heights before you could join their church, be a part of their church. And yet here, it's like Jesus is saying, look, hey, anyone who wants to come, 
Anyone who wants to come, you are more than welcome to come and hear my teaching. Because if you do, my words are going to lead to life. And so people who wouldn't darken the door of a church are are flocking to Jesus. Which should give us pause, right? And make us really reconsider the whole point of church. That it's not a country club for the saints or the super religious people where we just kind of hang out. But the church really is a hospital for sinners. And if that's not the case for us at Westminster, then this is a call back. Because if we're not intentional about Jesus, like Jesus front and center, then it's easy to morph into a church of, well, either like kind of God, guns, and country type church, or a church of just grumbling Pharisees actively keeping people away from Jesus. So a gospel diagnostic that Ray Cortez uses <clears throat> is the story of Jeffrey Dahmer. I know that you know, there's a, a recent Netflix uh, show about Dahmer, so a lot of people have kind of like relearned him. But if you don't, uh, in the early 90s, Jeffrey Dahmer was a serial killer, uh, a cannibal, uh, a sig- significantly troubled man. And out of fear of his being abandoned by, everybody in his life abandoned him, out of fear of being abandoned, he would lure people to his apartment, he would drug them, uh, drill a hole in their skull, attempting a lobotomy, which would then leave them in a a vegetative state, unable to run. They they couldn't leave him. And of course, they would eventually die. And and so twisted and so depraved was Dahmer that, I mean, in in a sermon, in this setting, I I can't even speak of some of the, the gruesome things he did. I mean, it's the depths of depravity. Well, when he was convicted and sentenced to life in prison, uh, a Baptist pastor started, just a chaplain, started, started meeting with him regularly and gave him a Bible. And to Dahmer, that Bible became the most interesting thing in the world to him. He started reading it, devouring. People said Dahmer's whole countenance began to change. So Dahmer began to realize how broken and sinful he was. But then he also, as he read the Gospels, he, start, he, he started to see that God was the one who could forgive even all of his sins, even the sins of murder and torture. And after a really long period of being discipled, Jeffrey Dahmer professed faith and became a Christian, and he was baptized. Um, and then the rest of the story of his life is that, tragically, six months after his baptism, he was beat to death in prison, and he died in prison. Which means, if, if, if he was truly in Jesus, as he professed to be, when he died, he entered into the presence of, our, of, of God our Father as a much-welcomed and much-beloved son. And so Ray Cortez argues, the degree to which you're uncomfortable with that story is the degree to which you do not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because for whatever reason, you think your sin is different that your sin is different. Now, you think you're more deserving than Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, any, anytime, look, anytime the gospel of grace is preached, there's, there's almost always pushback in churches. Uh, look, look, most churches, and there's all these studies out now, I think we've shared this, but like, if you really want a church to grow, I mean really grow, uh, all people really want is morals. Uh, most churches just want, they, they want a church that has programs, and they want a teaching ministry that just gives them a list of how to be a better fill-in-the-blank, just how to be better. 
Of course, what they don't tell you is really everybody wants a church that tells them or gives them a program so that they don't have to have faith in God because they can be their own God. It's it's actually anti-Christian. But to preach the gospel of grace, it gives pushback, especially to southern Christians, because it's easy for us to think that the the problem's out there, that we all think that we have something to bring to the table, right? Of all people, surely we deserve God's favor. We don't even listen to Morgan Wallen, right? But grace says, no, in all of your effort, all of your pulling yourself together and not listening to Morgan Wallen doesn't really get you very far anywhere. No, apart from Christ's work in you, so depraved are you and I am before God that, that we, are, we, are far, we are more like Jeffrey Dahmer than we care to know. And so who are we to grumble when tax collectors and sinners come to Jesus when we, we too are the ones who need Jesus? And so to flip the script and to like clearly convey our utmost need of God's saving grace, Jesus told a story, which brings us to God's word this morning. Luke 15, we'll just read verses 1 through 7. This is God's word. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is God's word. Two quick points this morning. Uh, First, we've got to see the shepherd's heart, our shepherd's heart. And then second, our shepherd's joy. His heart joy. Uh, first, the, the shepherd's heart. Um, you, you know, um, I know a lot of y'all are dog people, but dogs are amazing. Dogs are amazing animals. Uh, some of you may have heard of, uh, of Bobby, the, the Scottish collie that was nicknamed Bobby the Wonder Dog. You ever heard of Bobby the Wonder Dog? Langdon hasn't. Thank you for that. Um, I hadn't either, okay? But, but listen to this. So Bobby the Wonder Dog got that nickname because he went with his owners on a road trip from their home in Silverton, Oregon, to visit some family in Walcott, Indiana. And while Bobby the dog was there in Indiana, he was attacked by three of the neighborhood dogs. And in a very strange new place, it wasn't his home, he didn't really know where to go, so he just ran and hid. Well, according to Wikipedia, uh, after an exhaustive search, the family, they're, they're unable to find Bobby. Couldn't find him anywhere, so heartbroken, they finally decided that they had to go back home to Oregon. And, and so they left without him, fully expecting to never see Bobby ever, ever again. And y'all, I promise you, like, I, I fact-checked this like seven times because this is so unbelievable. And it, I think, from what I can tell, this is true. Um, okay, six months later, they go home to Oregon. Six months later, after having traveled 3,000 miles, Bobby 
their dog showed up at their house in Silverton, Oregon. And, and they said that he was mangy, dirty, scrawny. His toenails were worn down to nothing. All, all signs showed that, that he had walked the, like, the entire distance, including swimming rivers and crossing the Continental Divide, like the Rocky Mountains, during the coldest time of the year. Uh, on his six-month quest back home, they said that Bobby averaged about 14 miles per day. That's pretty amazing. I mean, it's amazing. You know, some animals have this, like, built-in homing mechanism to just go home. They, they know how to find home. Okay. Well, unfortunately, when it came time for God to describe his people, he didn't use one of those animals. He didn't look at you and say, you are Bobby the Wonder Dog. You are amazing. Now, rather, when it came time for God to describe the state of our souls, he went to the, the other end of the spectrum, right? And he called us sheep. Sheep. Uh, why sheep? Well, sheep are completely and totally helpless. Did you know that a sheep, at least the sheep that we think, the fluffy sheeps that we know, like they can't survive on their own without a shepherd's care. And, and it would be one thing if these sheep could just, if they could just stay in their little safe place. But no, sheep also have this inward drive to always pursue greener pastures, which means they are prone to stray. Sheep are prone to, to go their own way. And they're so cluelessly locked in on pursuing greener pastures that they will pursue, well, well, they will put themselves in harm's way and not even know it. They'll climb up to greener pastures up the mountain and they'll get there and they, they can't get down. Or they'll, they'll climb down into low places in search of greener grass and they'll just get stuck there and they can't get out. There's this video I'm sure some, some of y'all have seen that's made its round on social media um, that shows this sheep that's somehow gotten stuck in this really tight ditch. It's just down in there. And so the shepherd pulls the sheep out, and the sheep just, he's over here and fine, and then like takes a few steps and then jumps right back into the ditch. That's, uh, that's how sheep do, okay? Sheep are helpless. They cannot rescue themselves, cannot save themselves. And, I mean, as if that wasn't bad enough, sheep, all right, so they, they're prone to wander. Um, they're very helpless, but they're also highly anxious animals. A sheep won't lie down. Like They will not lie down unless they feel safe, unless they feel secure in their environment at peace, which really makes Psalm 23 pop, doesn't it? Because David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, what? He makes me lie down. Yeah, he, in green pastures. I love what this morning, what, what Wally read Verse 15, I myself, will be, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down. All right, Scripture says that because of the fall, uh, as humans, we come out of the womb with a, with a fallen nature, right? Instead of being bent towards God, we have a natural bent away from God. We, we run from God. Uh, towards, our, towards sin. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has gone his own way. And so in dealing with this, Blaise Pascal said, certainly nothing offends us more rudely than this doctrine. And yet, without this mystery, the most incomprehensible of all, we are incomprehensible to ourselves. So what, what he's saying is, if we don't understand that we are a sinner, that, that we are bent naturally bent away from God, then we don't know the first thing about our heart. We don't know the first thing about ourselves. 
Like all we, right? All of us have gone in search of greener grass. Like we, we all wander as lost sheep in our own, looking for our version of the good life, you know, our version of rest and pleasure and peace and joy and freedom. But the Bible also tells us that the only true source of that is God. And since we are profoundly broken and naturally prone to run away from God, apart from God coming and seeking us out and bringing us back, we are hopelessly and helplessly, well, we're helplessly lost. And so how different is this teaching from what most Jewish rabbis taught, and by the way, what many pastors may teach today about sin and grace? Because according to them, the sinner, the sinner has to turn back to God first, right? It's up to the, the lost sheep to make the first move the decision that if a sheep wants to come under the care of the shepherd, then it better find its own way back to the fold. And how easy is it uh, when we're lost to, like, we, we hope that God will ex- accept us, but we think that we got to crawl out. God could, couldn't possibly come to us, and so it's up to us to go to God. Okay, but that's not what we see here. In our helpless estate, Jesus wants us to know that he is the good shepherd who leaves the 99 and he goes after that one lost sheep and he goes after until he finds it. Which, by the way, all of God's people either have been or are that one lost sheep. Um, and God doesn't, God doesn't seek his people like I search for like a cheap nitro golf ball that I just sliced into the woods, right? It's like, eh, it's, it's, it's fine. It's more like searching for a Titleist Pro V1 golf ball that I just, or we just sliced into the woods, right? We're going to find that thing. Um, Jesus pours his entire energy into it. And so as Kent Hughes says, Jesus combs the valleys and peers from the hilltops. He, he's always calling, always seeking. And Jesus, he's actively fulfilling Ezekiel's prophecy where God said, I myself will search for my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places they have scattered. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. So he is relentless in his loving pursuit. Uh, But that's not all we see here. So that's his heart. His heart is seeking, seeking the lost. But we also see our shepherd's joy, our shepherd's joy, which brings us to our second point and and how we'll we'll start closing. Notice, Notice what the shepherd does after he finds that lost sheep. He picks it up, he puts it on his shoulders, he, he carries the weight of that sheep, rejoicing. You know, this verse, it's probably one of the most powerful pictures of Jesus' shepherd-like love for his people. You know, in the earliest churches, actually, this, this depiction is the earliest statue that, that Christians have uh, in, in Christ, the history of the church. Uh, the, one of the earliest statues is a statue of a good shepherd uh, walking and carrying this, this recovered lamb on its sh- shoulders. So early Christians meeting in the catacombs, you know, they, they, archaeologists open up these old ancient meeting places, the catacombs, uh, where Christians met, and it's like all this, these pictures of sheep and shepherds all over the place. It was such an immense comfort because they're going, all the trials they went to, through, they knew that their shepherd was carrying them As Isaiah promised, even to your old age I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I will carry you through this. I will carry you. So Jesus picks up the lost rejoicing, and then he comes home saying, for I have found found my lost sheep, calling other people to rejoice. 
And then Jesus hits the Pharisees and us with the punchline. Verse 7, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And by the way, I know theologically, like, like all true righteousness is imputed to us from Christ. So apart from Christ, there is no, we have no righteousness. And so this is Jesus really taking a jab at the Pharisees. Maybe those 99 that you left, they're lost sheep too, right? Um, the Pharisees thought that they were so sure of their own attempts at righteousness, at their rule keeping, that they really didn't need to repent. And so Jesus is saying, look, y'all can go and be self-righteous and play church all you want, just know God's not celebrating your self-righteous church. No, Jesus came to seek and to save and build an entire community of faith from the very people the religious leaders and the institutions of the day rejected. See so, how Jesus is turning our idea of the church upside down. And we've really got, we've got to lose this whole self-righteous grumbling act where we, like the older brother, we cynically roll our eyes and we cross our arms and like, we are not going to celebrate those people. Especially when God calls us in our home. And Jesus invites us to remember that if we are in him, then, then we too were once lost and were found. And we too once experienced the applause of heaven when a repentant sinner comes home. And so now, by his grace... When Jesus brings a sinner home, he invites like, like all of us to join in, to join heaven in that, in that celebration. So Jesus is out bringing in the lost. Okay. Well, how is that possible? Well, if you remember in, in Exodus, the people of God were like these sheep. They were helplessly enslaved, right? O only God could rescue them out of Egypt. And on the night that God broke Pharaoh... You remember what the people of God did that night? The people of God gathered in their homes and they had wine and they had bread and then they had a lamb. And, and the, the, the lamb had been slain and its blood was literally brushed over the doorpost of their home so that when the angel of death came through, all who were under the blood were safe. Well, throughout the centuries, the Hebrew people, of course, that became Passover. The Hebrew people celebrated that, that event in Passover. Well, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, Jesus hosted one last Passover meal. The wine was there, the bread was there, um, but there's no mention of a lamb because Jesus, Jesus was the lamb. He wanted us to see that, that he took, as, as a sheep, he took on our weakness our helplessness, our sin, and as the true and final lamb of God, he shed his blood so that all who were under his blood would be saved and brought back in. So we see, too, that he is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. You know, if you have a good shepherd, you can rest, right? You can rest in that field. You can rest under his care. Okay. Look, if any of this resonates with you, if, if you're thinking, man, that sounds a lot like my story. If you feel lost and you haven't been found, just know that Jesus is calling you. Like this is what the gospel message is. It's not about us doing church. The gospel like calls out to you. And if the Spirit is wooing you, 
Or if there's something in you that says, you know what, I, I really want a shepherd to care for me. I wish Jesus would come and lay me over his shoulders and carry me back to God. Would you please respond to that, that wooing, and let Jesus carry you back to God? So this is really, this is an invitation. It's the sweetest thing that will ever happen in your life. But then if you have been found and you have been carried back, know that, that though Jesus is our great shepherd, he now calls you to the task of serving under him. And sometimes, I found this out this week, sometimes sheep, this is how, this is how helpless sheep are, sometimes sheep can lie down on, quote, slightly uneven ground. And because, and because of the direction they're facing as they're laying down, um, their, their center of gravity can kind of shift if it's at an angle. And, and they'll just lay there. And their legs kind of half up in the air and almost like a T-Rex. Like they just can't, they cannot reach the ground. And they're just helpless. They can't get up. And so shepherds call this becoming cast. Uh, a sheep has become cast. And so countries kind of like England that have, you know, a huge array of just public footpaths connecting village to village to village and, and you will find yourself walking past a lot of sheep. Um, they will send out these public announcements and actually one was released this week that said this, to all walkers slash countryside users, if you happen to come across a sheep lying on its back and its legs are up in the air, it is cast. Please be so kind as to roll it back over if left, then this is if left like this, they can die, as they cannot get up on their own. Okay. To be saved by Jesus is to be sent by Jesus, and yes, of course, Jesus is the one who saves. So it's, there's no pressure on us. Jesus does the saving. Jesus seeks and saves, but he often uses his own people as the conduits of his grace to take that saving work and message out, and so. If we see a lost or cast sheep, Jesus calls us to roll them over and to help them up in his name because that is exactly what he has done for you. Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you tend your flock, your people like a shepherd that you gather your lambs in your arm and you carry them, you carry us close to your heart. May we see you to be the good shepherd who laid down your life for your sheep and cause us to come to repent and in an anxious world really cause us to rest in your green pastures, to drink deep of your living water and for our souls to be restored in you. We ask this in the strong name of our good shepherd, Jesus. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.